what's up? So I was talking to my friend Kylie the other day and we were talking about lots of different things. But one of the most intriguing things that came up that we spoke about was patriarchy. Now, before you roll your eyes and say, oh no, not this again, I probably don't mean what you think I mean. Like, I think patriarchy is actually a stage that we, as a society, all must pass through to get to a higher stage of consciousness. This is a Jungian idea that I've come across many times, and I don't even associate patriarchy exclusively with negative qualities. But, well, just watch this clip with Kylie and I, where we talk about it briefly. Is that the whole privileged power? Um, <laughs> I had this aha moment listening to Marion and Robert. The whole privileged mm. power dynamic is still stuck in what they would describe as the patriarchal framework. Because, mm. because what I've noticed with a lot of the conversations on race, but not just race, um, is that like the goal, the out the the aspiration is still like the accumulation of material wealth <laughs> right mm, so we yeah. might we might call one group of people privileged but at the same time we have the very same value system and the goal is to acquire that material wealth and the goal really is to become privileged right and so yeah why is that patriarchal so i don't even necessarily have a negative connotation with the term patriarchal i think certainly in the jungian system patriarchy is a part of a timeline like on its way to a higher state of consciousness basically but it's like mm. a it's like a necessary phase that humans have to go through in order to reach the next phase which i, I like that it resonates with me but so just to clarify it's patriarchal yeah. because it's associated with the masculine like why, why no. is it necessarily it's patriarchal because it's wounded masculine devoid of the feminine. And what that literally means is that the highest value system is power and not power in the Spinozian sense, but in the postmodern sense, right? Got it. Power yeah. meaning needing to yeah. control and predict. This is related to mystery, right? <laughs> needing to yeah. control and predict everything outcomes, which, which prevents us from being in relationship with people right because mm. one of the things I've learned about myself like when I'm interested in a guy there's like sometimes I'll I'll feel it I'll feel this emotion of possessiveness within me yeah right yeah and this like need to control and predict the outcome and that's the same sort of like we look out in the world and we say all these things need to change like all these impulses need to change all these drives her power needs to change but like that is within me yeah you know and so yeah. my the only thing really that I have some influence over is it's like becoming aware of that becoming attuned to that and changing that within myself yeah. okay so basically I have this epiphany that I described to Kylie that I also wrote about on LinkedIn and here's what I wrote when some people speak of patriarchy they mean men in power but this is not the definition of patriarchy. The real definition of patriarchy is a society whose highest value is power. Power that is driven by a need to control and predict outcomes. And anyone, regardless of gender, can fall susceptible to this. Now, of course, power, as I have defined it, is necessary in degrees, but it is not the highest virtue. 
When a society lives by the highest virtue, it is devoted to the art of relationship. And relationship, the capacity to relate to what is, is the very antithesis, the very opposite of a value system that prizes controlling and predicting above all else. That highest virtue is called love. And the society whose highest virtue is love is free. So clearly I was feeling myself that day when I wrote that post, <laughs> really proud of that, thought it was really beautiful. Um, but obviously those are just words and relationship is hard, right? Extremely hard. It's hard for me, it's hard for you, be real, it's hard for everyone. Because relationship requires a capacity to be vulnerable with no guarantees. It requires what some might call a spirit of infinite play, which sounds fancy, but is actually meant to mean just the capacity to get your heart broken over and over again. And I'm gonna talk about that specifically a little bit more later, but it really requires being honest with yourself and your feelings, including feelings that you may be ashamed of having in the first place. And you know, this is the classic cycle, right? That shame that you feel stops you from being honest with yourself and with other people, right? The classic example is like, if I'm into a guy and I like him, do I tell him I like him? What if he doesn't like me back? Do I still tell him I like him? So much anxiety, right? But you know how Beyonce says, I've been drinking, I've been drinking. Well, I have not. I'm a nerd and I've been studying. I've been doing studying. I'm studying so much. I've been working on myself. And I've been studying these books about relationship and what it actually means to be able to relate Right? Because I want to stress, again, that's what the root word of relationship is. To relate. To be with what is. And we don't know how to do that because we're so future-oriented. We are constantly worried about outcomes. We see the world as moving towards a fixed point. A final utopic stage. This is how I was raised. I grew up in a religious home that was super in-timesy. Right? But it's, it, it even exists in our secular model. Right? And it's hard to shift from that model of thinking to a different mindset. So I've been studying, I've been reading Carl Jung and Marion Woodman and diving into Tantric Buddhism and the transmutation of desire and like all these cool concepts. And here's where I'm at. We have to start to develop the capacity to relate. And relationship requires being present, which requires cultivating attention in a very conscious way. And this is actually one of the reasons why I take regular breaks from social media. Seeing people online has made it really hard to know how to connect with people in real life. I struggle with this I very yes, much. 100%. Right? Do yeah. you experience that? I'm taking a break from social media for the month of May, the entire month wow. of May. Except for LinkedIn. Wow. I will go on LinkedIn. It's <laughs> like my one plug. It's <laughs> like my one outlet. Catch me on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, because like, so back to Jungian uh, stuff, Marion and Robert, I feel like we're on the first name basis now. <laughs> they talk about like the masculine and the feminine and not as like genders, but as like, like uh, energies that are, are um, uh, like different sides of the same coin. And one of the elements of feminine energy is the capacity to be receptive. And my time on social media significantly diminishes 
my capacity to be receptive because my brain on social media is wired to look for likes and retweets and comments and and this kind of very unrooted, undeep feedback system that stops me from uh, sitting patiently and being with what is, which is like yeah. the art of receptivity. So I can't take you in, right? I can't take another human being in if I'm constantly being wired to go bing, bing, ping, 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 yeah. ping, right? So yeah. I think that there's a direct relationship between social media the way they're set up now and our incapacity to take in each other and to be and to hold space for one another because the way social media is set up it totally fragments my attention if i'm constantly worried about how many likes i have how many retweets i've got then i'm not being present and i'm not receptive to what is if i'm not present i can't be receptive to what's going on within me and I can't be receptive to what's going on with you if I'm having a conversation with you because I'm mentally distracted by this question of how to win the social media game or just like, hmm, I wonder what's going on on my phone right now, right? Like our attention is valuable and how we pay attention actually matters. And if my attention is elsewhere, that automatically hinders my capacity to be in relationship with you because I'm not being fully present to be able to take in what is. Another thing that stops us from being able to relate to each other is when we have this perception of ourselves, of this fixed, never-changing, static thing, right? If our perception of ourselves is like that, then any form of change we have to encounter will produce incredible amounts of anxiety, which really sucks because reality is change. Life is change. Right now, the atoms in your body and mine are constantly moving around and changing, right? Like right now, as we're sitting watching these screens, the atoms in this table, the chair, the things on my desk are not actually fixed. They're all moving, fluctuating, dancing. Everything is change. Everything is vulnerability. I am constantly changing physically, emotionally, socially. I'm a completely different person than who I was last year. And guess what? Technically, I'm also a completely different person than what I was yesterday. There's this really beautiful Hasidic prayer that I came across that I've sort of paraphrased and adopted for myself that goes something like this. Blessed be the eternal who plunges me into the night and renews me by day for your mercy endures forever. And I love to say this prayer before bed and also when getting up because it reminds me of the cyclical nature of change, which we are all conditioned by. The seasons change, the days change, the sun rises, the sun falls, the moon disappears, the moon reappears. And I find that by enacting a ritual like that, I can be reminded of my own changing nature. And if I know that I can start to see how two aspects of reality are actually two sides of the same coin. So for example, being with someone and then missing them are two sides of the same non-dual coin, just like the sun rising and the sun falling are two sides of the same coin. One cannot exist without the other. And I can learn to be with both and see the beauty in both experiences, in both expressions. So that's the second thing that trips us up, or I'll speak for myself, it trips me up. And that is forgetting that I am in fact constantly changing. 
And finally, let's talk about heartbreak and letting your heart break over and over again, which might seem like torture. I know it sounds terrifying to me, but at the same time, it appeals to me because there's this really beautiful notion in Buddhism of bodhicitta. And bodhicitta is all about softening the heart. Instead of guarding it with armor, we let the heart soften. Pema Chodron, the famous Buddhist monk, says that bodhicitta is equated with compassion or our ability to feel the pain that we share with others. And of course, we shield ourselves from pain because it scares us. And the protective walls we put up to shield ourselves from pain are made up of prejudice and judgment and opinion, right? James Baldwin had a similar observation. He said that the reason we cling to our hatred so much is that once we're done with hatred, we will be forced to deal with pain. And we don't know how to deal with pain. We don't know how to relate to our own suffering. And what is at the bottom of a broken heart? It's sorrow, it's sadness. But it's precisely that experience of sadness that can help us to remain open to the suffering of others without shutting down. So it's actually kind of like a superpower when you think about it, because we can use our experience of suffering to help alleviate others' sufferings. Now, I'm not saying that this means you need to go pursue a significant other after it's clear that you guys aren't meant to be. Use your common sense, that is not what I'm telling you, okay? Don't be foolish. But I am saying that once we experience heartbreak, instead of being tempted to armor ourselves up, we should learn to relate to heartbreak and listen to what it has to teach us about the human condition. So in conclusion, Patriarchy runs deep within us because it's the outcome of a very natural human fear of vulnerability. But when we hold control as our highest value, we become stunted in other practices that we need in order to thrive, especially the practice of relationship. But we keep doing this because the relationship is tricky and hard and it often leads to heartbreak and suffering and we don't want to experience suffering. So we numb it with a need to possessively and obsessively control and predict. And what's the one illusory fickle tool that can enable us to control and predict? Power. This is why, for example, so many villains and so many Disney films, you guys probably know by now, I love Disney, are the way they are, right? They experience suffering, they don't know how to relate to it, and then they try to acquire absolute power in order to numb it, right? This is what happens when Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader, when, you know, a Lotso Bear becomes insane in Toy Story 3, etc., right? And this is ultimately insufficient. Of course, it doesn't actually successfully numb the pain in the long run. And so then the cycle begins again. So we have to learn how to come to terms with ourselves. We have to learn how to relate to ourselves and to others and achieve some kind of a harmonious balance within that can then be reflected and expressed without. That's all for me today. I hope you're having a lovely week and I'll see you next time. Cheers.